Welcome to episode nine of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League, presented by ChangeUp. I'm Matt Satilli. I am joined alongside by my co-host, Owen Shadrick. Owen, always a pleasure to see you. How you doing? Matt, we're playing baseball next week. Couldn't be more excited. Let's go, baby. Play ball. One week from release day. So this is uh, releasing on Thursday. And uh, July 2nd, Thursday, is our opener. We had an awesome interview with Cam Cook. He talks about his experience in Nashua. They're opening up against North Shore on Thursday night. He mentioned it's Thirsty Thursday. The fans are excited. And he talks his experiences about being a player and a GM. He was there for the 2016 and 17 title runs and how he's transitioned into his front office role. So we got a great interview in store. Sit back, relax, settle in. And without further ado, here's Cam Cook. At this time, we now welcome on a very special guest. It is Cam Cook, the general manager of the Nashua Silver Knights. Cam, welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, boys. I appreciate it. Real excited. Anytime. So the 2020 season was just announced. First off, we're super excited about that. How great does it feel to be able to have baseball at Holman Stadium and get a chance to, you know, see the team in action in just over a week? It's uh... – <laughs> It's been kind of surreal. Like the last two days have been our first two days of practice and it hasn't been full tilt or anything, but just seeing BP go on again and guys getting ready to throw bullpens and our, our coach Jackson out there, like it's something that I, I think I was always, I, I joked, I don't know if it was optimism or denial. I always kind of thought we were going to have a season, but there was so much unknown for so long. And the fact that we're eight, nine days away is incredible. Were there any major obstacles that you faced in launching this season? Obviously, with COVID, there were plenty, but any specific ones that gave you trouble? And how did you feel this experience kind of tested you in your first season as general manager? Yeah, I think that we were very fortunate. Just the city of Nash was so great for us. Like, they, it, they made us feel like they were behind us the whole way. And obviously, safety is the, the number one focal point of the season. But they were – really behind us on how are we going to make this season happen while following all these guidelines. Um, you know, you know, for a second there, it looked like we weren't going to be able to have teams for mass in for a while. Um, I think they were great in assisting us to put together our, our COVID readiness plan, which we had to put up to the governor to get approved and put through Nashua to get approved. And I mean, I think it was Friday they came out and said that we were going to be able to, play baseball teams from Ash were going to be able to be in here. And it was, that was the moment we were waiting for that, that first, like, okay, that's the green light. Let's do it. So I think that was the biggest thing. The COVID readiness plan was, that was a tough one. That was, I haven't done that big of a, of a paper since like college. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that. What did that entail? And you know, <laughs> what did that require on your end? It's, I'm sure it's very similar for every team across the board. Um, it just kind of the variables are within the ballpark. Um, you know, it's the social distancing and the seating bowl. It's making sure the players are wearing masks when they enter. They have their own entrance to the ball, uh, to the stadium. The visitors team has their own entrance to the stadium. Um, it's going to be the first time I've used sidewalk chalk since I was a kid, laying down the arrows for where you're supposed to walk in the concourse. Um, and uh, we're going to use like stanchions and those arrows for. Uh, six feet apart for concessions, um, for merchandise, for all that good stuff. So it's on our website on nashvillesilvernights.com under Holman Stadium. You can see the whole COVID-19 plan, which is nice just because 
phone's been ringing off the hook with questions, so it's it's good to be able to direct someone. They can kind of check it out, the FAQs and everything. The the league worked out the the bones of the COVID nineteen plan together, and that was the good foundation for it. Um, our assistant GM Katie Aaron was the like she was an absolute rock star putting that thing together. When we put it in front of um, the Division of Public Health here in Nashua, I think they had two edits, which is just unbelievable. So it, it showed, you know, it's a real tool having her around to be able to, you know, do some of these things that I'm not wicked capable of. Do you guys make sure you cite your sources in that paper? Yeah, bibliography, works cited. We got it all. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Not too rusty on the college papers. No, no. And so you said that a lot of that is on your website, which is great, but can you give us a general overview of what not, uh, Silver Knights fans are going to have to follow in relation to masks and concessions and specifically purchasing tickets? How will yep. purchasing tickets work? Yeah. So for, we're always, I, I feel like I basically live at this ballpark, that phone I always pick up. A lot of people call for tickets here. Um, but, you know, let's say it's, it's June 2nd and you haven't got a ticket yet, and it's, you know, 5.30, um, you can come up to our ticket office out in front of the stadium with your mask on. It's going to be stanchioned off six feet apart, waiting in line. Our, our usher, we're going to have ushers everywhere, making sure that everyone's not touching each other. Um, buy your ticket. You'll have the option to get a paper ticket. Our, our ticket office staff is masked up, gloved up. It's coming straight off the printer and into your hand. Or we can email you the ticket. It just goes right on your phone. You scan it on the way in. Um, but it's masks. Basically, if you're in this ballpark, unless you're in your seat and socially distanced from everyone around you, you're wearing your mask. Concessions, merch, bathroom, um, entering and exiting. If you're in your seat and eating a hot dog, you don't have to wear your mask. So you just mentioned you guys are one of two teams to host live ball on July 2nd. You guys are hosting North Shore. Obviously, that due in part of Massachusetts regulations with phase three. But, you know, what does it mean to have opening night right around the corner and to be one of those two teams to offer baseball and have fans just have that deep sigh of relief and sit down and watch some live ball? Yeah. And the fact that it falls on a Thursday, Thursday, too, might be like the most Nashville way to kick things off. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're fired up, man. It was, uh, we had a couple interns in on Monday and we have that uh, board out in front of the stadium. So uh, the phone rang seven times within 15 minutes of us putting up July 2nd opening day, North Shore, 6 p.m. We can't uh, – obviously the schedule changed pretty recently, so we're waiting for the ticketing system to, to catch up so we can print and sell tickets, and we just got, like, it's backlogged right now. So, I mean, they're pumped, man. And it's not just, um, you know, people in Nashua. It's, it's Hudson. It's Merrimack. It's um, everyone. I mean, we're – what else you got? <laughs> Baseball's back. Can't get any better than it that. Is, everybody everybody wants to get in. And I feel like it's going to be the first time in a while where you're here for the baseball. You know what I mean? I mean, definitely you want to get out of your house and everything, but there's limits on what we can do with the on-field activities. Really all we've got is the, the national anthem and um, like first pitch um, just to, you know, the less people on the field, the better kind of keep the team away from the fans, which is going to be tough because that's kind of what the FCBL is all about, right? The fan engagement. Um, but it's just the people here are going to be really into the game because it's the first sporting event they've seen that isn't golf or, you know, something on ESPN 8, the Ocho, for four months, five months. Before we get back to our interview with Cam Cook, 
we wanted to share a message from one of our sponsors, ChangeUp. We're excited to announce a brand new partnership this season with ChangeUp, a cutting edge player-centric pitch tracking solution promoting health and safety, allowing coaches to capture and analyze a proprietary set of performance analytics and helping pitchers maximize their potentials. Coming to baseball programs around the world this year, ChangeUp eliminates the administrative overhead associated with adhering to pitch count regulations, allowing coaches to focus on baseball. Coaches and parents at all levels, Little League, AAU, high school, and the collegiate level take notice. ChangeUp is the clear choice to ensure your pitchers aren't being thrown too much or too often and are getting proper rest. Together, we can make this great game even better by protecting arms and ensuring compliance with pitching guidelines. For more information, visit ChangeUp's website, www.changeup.io. That's www.change-up.io. ChangeUp. Every pitch counts. Now, we return to our interview with Cam Cook. Yeah, baseball versus curling, it's a, there's a big difference. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the Sunday morning um, cornhole, that's, a, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah. It is. <laughs> I mean, we got, we got soccer, but the saturation level is a little different there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not only is it the first kind of live sporting event since COVID, but it's also the 10th anniversary of not only the league, but your team. Do you yep. guys have anything specific planned for your 10th anniversary? And did you have to cancel anything that you were going to do because of COVID? Yeah, opening night, I mean, I guess this was January and February, we were like rolling out the red carpet. We were going to have, we reached out to basically anyone that ever put on a Silver Knights jersey. Um, you know, it was going to be almost like a like a ring ceremony night or something. Like you'd be able to see all the guys from 2011 to 2019, um, you know, and it, we've had guys that have records. We've had four championships. We've had awesome coaches. So it would have been great to do all that. Maybe things ease up, um, you know, the back end of the season, we can pull it off. If not, you know, it's just something we'll do in, in season 11. Sure. And, you know, that's awesome that that kind of process went through. And, you know, you mentioned all of Nashua's great success and all the players that have gone through the ranks. We want to put the spotlight on you because that especially concerns yourself. So, you know, you were there in 2016 and 2017, part of two championships. And, you know, what does it mean to you to have all the experience you've had with the Silver Knights organization and just to be a part of that, you know, as a player? Yeah. Um, if you told me July 1st of 2016 that the Silver Knights would be uh, as big a part of my life as it is now, like that, I would have never believed you. Um, that season I was actually playing in a different league and um, for uh, whatever reason I got removed from the team uh, just cause they ran out of housing and my assistant coach at Nichols at the time called up, uh, BJ Neverett, who was the coach here and basically said, I've got an infielder. He'll play wherever you want him to play. Can you take him?" BJ took me, said I was only going to hit against left-handed pitchers and I was going to play, um, third base, not a third baseman. Um, and I think five games in, I got my first start and then I, I just played through 2016 and BJ gave me my contract for 2017 before I walked off the field in 2016. But it's, it's, it's wild, man. I, I talk to the guys from that 2017 team every single day still. Uh, they were just visiting last weekend. Um, Kyle Bonicki, Luke Tyree, uh, Ted Williams, Cam Cruz. Like those, it's, I knew them for two and a half months and like they'll probably be in my wedding. It's wild how much summer ball means to some guys. 
Yeah, and you know, you were just featured on our all-time leaders uh, segment as we launched into the season. You had 81 hits during 2017, and it was an awesome campaign. Take us through that season and some memories you have, and you know, just kind of how that second season in the league, knowing that you had that full contract with the team, the confidence it gave you, and to be back with that same, you know, a couple same crew of characters. Yeah, yeah. right off the bat, the the record the record is it looks much prettier than it was. The like I, it was a lot of jam shots into right field and bunt for singles and. You know, it, it wasn't like Ryan Sullivan blasting 15 home runs in the summer or anything, but I'll definitely take it. I had a lot of good bounces. I think what was awesome about that season and that team is that the league was strong that year. There was like, you know, we had the, the, the Notre Dames, the Vanderbilt was very present, BC, Northeastern, all these top tier schools. And we rolled out there with, uh, I think our infield was Nichols, Clark, Millersville, Snoo. I think we had one. We had two Division One guys in our starting lineup. We really didn't do anything that special in the regular season. We kind of limped into the postseason, and then we just – I think we ripped off six straight, eight straight, whatever it was, all the way to the championship. It was just really unique because usually just straight-up talent wins a summer ball championship, right? And we didn't really have that much of that. We just had guys that really, really liked going on, uh, you know, showing up to Holman every single day and, and playing with one another uh, to the point where – in like the eighth inning of the of game two of the championship here, uh, Kyle Bonicki turned to me and he was like, I, I, like, I don't want the last out to be made. Like, like we just didn't want to go home, which is not always the case in summer ball. Yeah, you just talked about Nichols, obviously a D3 school. What was it like playing at the D3 level? And then you get this chance to come to the Futures League and get this exposure with the Silver Knights. I thought I was going to get blown out of the water, man. I like, I remember, uh, I was staying in my host family in 2016. We were going to Pittsfield and I saw that they had a lefty toss in from Northeastern. And I was like, this is going to be my first start. And I was like, I just hope to God, I don't like go over five with five K's. I think I went like four for five or three, for five or something, but I, I was as scared or as nervous as I have been for an at bat since maybe my first at bat in college. You know, I think if you look up and down the record books or some of the all-star teams in the past, there isn't a ton of D3 guys, but the ones that are, they, I mean, they can ball, they can play that there's, you know, I mean, there's a reason you're here if you're a, a, a high level D2 or a high level D3 player. And uh, it's definitely been shown throughout the years. Yeah. And what does it mean to you now to have the chance to pay it forward and get in touch with some of those guys, whether it be at Nichols, other D3 schools, and just, you know, kind of tell them about your own experiences and give them a shot at playing summer ball, staying sharp, especially with their season last year, getting cut short or rather in the spring and, you know, just have that D3 pride. Yeah, yeah, and it's something I don't want to abuse. You don't want to just load up a – I don't want to load up a roster with D3 guys and then have people look around and be like, this guy's just abusing his, like, D3 heritage here. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a good amount for, uh, you know, D3 guys this year. We got, we got Wheaton, we got Nichols, we've got Babson. Again, I mean, those are – Wheaton and Babson are unbelievable D3 programs. I think they're pretty much routinely in the top 25 – and the guys we get from those schools have very proven track records. Um, and I think that's what I try to – Kyle Jackson or Coach Jackson and myself try to look at, that if you're playing at an elite Division three school and you're hitting 400 or you're, you're you know, striking out 50 guys in a year or something, you can definitely come here and, and show what you got. And I know that we've had some guys over the years that were D3 guys get, you know, 
signed off the pro day or, or undrafted free agent or even just go play indie ball. And I don't know, maybe they wouldn't have gotten that opportunity if they weren't playing in Nashua or Worcester or Brockton or North Shore or whatever. Yeah, that's tremendous. Uh, just a quick question. You said you were mentioned as uh, only brought in against left-handed pitchers. How many of those 81 hits that year were against lefties? Did you rake against the Southpaws? <laughs> I mean, rake. I, yeah, I guess. <laughs> it was like, okay. The hits maybe were a little bit harder off the barrel, but like no. they still didn't get over anyone's head in the outfield. You know what? Hit's a hit. We'll take it. I got, so, yeah. I got one at Wachusett. 2016, I got one at Wachusett. Nice. <laughs> um, so now talking about your role as a GM with the Silver Knights, you know, you make this transition. What is that like going from a player to working with the organization last year to now transitioning to overseeing some of the day-to-day -day operations and being in, you know, pretty much control of the roster now? Yeah, the progression helped. Like, I wasn't exactly thrown into the fire. So my role uh, in 2019 was – as ops manager and that definitely encompasses a lot of things than more than it just sounds. Um, but having, being able to do that for a full season and being under uh, Dave Bahoki, who was the GM at the time really helped get my feet wet and not kind of fumble some things that maybe I wasn't ready for. You know, I, I think August I made that change into uh, GM we had Katie as an intern the year before. So she was basically on the same uh, progression track as I was. So she hits the ground running. I hit the ground running. Um, you know, I've got John Creedon, uh, junior, John Creedon, senior, Dave Peterson, Nate Canelli. I've got all the tools in the world um, as far as, you know, making this ship go. Um, it's, it's certainly not much. I do. It's, I think it's very much everyone around me. And then I, you know, you've got, Derek down, Derek in North Shore, Joe Gill in North Shore, Josh Cummings. There's so many resources around the league. And like, while we're competitive on the field, I know at any time I could reach out to New Britain, reach out to Brockton, you know, anybody, and they'll, they'll lend a helping hand or give me some guidance or something that they've experienced in the past that maybe I'm trying to get over that hump right now. So, you know, we want to, we want to beat the crap at each other on the field, but very, very helpful around the front office. That's awesome. Uh, take us through what that was like working as operations manager. You did a lot of the on-field activities and a lot of the game day coordination with fans. How was that experience like? And how was that just providing an entertainment aspect for the fans and engaging them at a day-to-day -day level? It's so hectic. It's so hectic, dude. Like um, when I played, I just, I would sit out there at third base and I would watch an on-field activity or I would watch, you always just thought things happened. Like the food just showed up. The, the, the everything was just take the, the baseballs were always just where they needed to be. You didn't think at all about what went into that. And um, I think within like two weeks of the season, I, I reached out to Ronnie and Cheryl who were the assistant, uh, the GM, the assistant GM when I played. And I was like, I don't know how you guys did this so well. Like they were unbelievably good, man. That's, you know, between what Worcester has done and what they did um, when they were here, Ronnie and Cheryl, that's, that's what Katie and I strive for. We want to be as, you never knew, even if there was a hiccup in 2016 or 2017, you could never tell. You know what I mean? They were just such professionals about everything. I, the biggest thing I, I think I took away from the ops manager in 2019 is uh, kind of just keeping everything in line. I'm a notes guy, like bullet checklist, pregame checklist, have your itinerary for the on-field activities or the sponsored announcements and all that stuff. Make sure you don't upset anybody by not, not getting the job done. And um, making sure that 
everything's cleaned up in a timely fashion after the game, so I'm not here till right. one in the morning. We've had more than enough point streak errors that left me here at one in the morning. <laughs> yeah, point streak has not been my friend either. That's yeah, that's I mean, sure. <laughs> it's a learning experience, I guess. So when you were out at third base in your playing career, did you ever think that you would become a GM or did you ever want to be an executive? And how did you end up landing this job in Nashua? I think, I don't know if I would say an executive exactly, but baseball, it was always something I knew I wasn't going to be able to let go of. Um, so whether it was, you know, a scout or, um, player development or, you know, strength and conditioning or, you know, ops manager or general manager. I knew it was something within that realm that was pretty hands-on. That's what, I think that's what's awesome about the Futures League is the GMs aren't so so far up that they're not still involved with the day-to-day. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I pictured it, but I didn't think that was something that would happen so soon. <laughs> like, it, it definitely happened faster than I would have thought. So... I was working in Boston uh, kind of like as a, as a project manager and recruiter for construction and stuff. And uh, it was great. Like I love that company, but I got a call from Kyle Bonnecke at lunch one day and he was like, Hey, the silver Knights are, are hiring a role. Like, is that something you have interest in? And like, I, I think I took, I think I was on the phone with Peterson by the end of that day, just talking about the role and everything. it clicked pretty fast. Like I, I think we were coming up on base. Yeah. So that would have been April. We were coming up on baseball season. I was getting the itch. I was like missing it so much. I I mean, I'll I'll forever be grateful for Kyle giving me that call that day. (laughs) I I can't, I can't believe how much has changed just from one phone call. By Peterson, do you mean Dave Peterson? Oh yeah. Yeah. Dave Peterson. So are you going to model after him and dance with your fans in the ninth inning? (laughs) No, I'm not. I want to, I want to be, I definitely want to model – I want his level of success in this league, but there's – I'll try to maybe skirt around the avenue of, of dancing on the field. I mean, the love is gone. That's that's the best I can do is love is gone as a player. And take us through the day-by-day. Obviously, this is a bit skewed with COVID, but take us through the day-by-day as the Silver Knights GM. Do you live in the stadium like Brad Smith told us he did? <laughs> Pretty much, man. And I like, you can throw a stone and hit my house, so – it's, it's, it's great. It's convenient. I saved gas, but of course that means I'm like always coming in and out of the office just because it's a piece of cake. Um, and it's good. I mean, it doesn't, it's so much fun, man. It doesn't feel like work all that much. I mean, things get on top of you, things get stressful, but at the end of the day, like this is the best job in the world. And you guys have developed a pretty good team there in Nashua. You have a couple returning players, including Dylan Jones, who we just had on the podcast. Can you give us a couple, a little sneak peek into what you guys are bringing out onto the field this season? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, like I said, I think definitely on on the bump, we've got a good mix of D1, D2, D3 guys. I think it's going to be pretty cool to see how they stack up against, uh, even right out of the gate. I mean, North Shore's got an awesome roster. So, I'm very competitive. I really like that we're coming out of the gates playing, you know, arguably, if not the best team on paper. And I think we see them 11 more times after that. So that'll be a nice little rivalry. We're not far. Infield is is both young and old. I, I, we, we got Nick Shumsky from Merrimack pretty late. That kid's got an awesome glove, and he was crushing the ball before the season got scrapped. Like, I mean, I, he was blowing up, like, Michigan State and Oral Roberts and some some real good schools. Um, 
We've also got two guys going to Kansas State, two middle infielders. I think that's pretty cool. That could be, you know, the future of Kansas State's middle infield, and they might be uh, getting their first reps in together here. And then the outfield, the running joke is that I must have been addicted to left-handed hitters. Like, I don't know how we got this many left-handed hitters, but like, if you throw a righty, we're in good shape. <laughs> I think we have 11 or 12 returners, too. So, like, that doesn't happen much in summer ball, I'm sure – a lot of leagues being canceled and some guys getting some extra years of eligibility helps that. But I think it's always great when you can bring some guys back that, that the fans know and they kind of just know how things go and what the culture is. It makes life a little bit easier for everybody. So it seems like you've acclimated really nicely to the role of executive and kind of assembling the roster, getting everyone together, talking more broadly about your leadership experience. Uh, you worked as a camp counselor in Pennsylvania and I saw that you volunteered at special Olympics what does that mean to you to work with kids and give back and work in that role of, you know, being the day-to-day -day leader and walking them through a schedule? Yeah, I actually, I, I guess I never really thought about that as leadership. That was, that was when I was in like middle school and high school. Um, we lived pretty close to Villanova and um, every year they would have the, they would hold their special Olympics there. And um, I think that's just something we, me and my friends thought was cool. It was kind of cool to be a part of. It was an awesome experience. Um, there was a couple of the, the athletes there that I, we kept in touch with for a little bit and they would come to some of our baseball games and our pep rallies and stuff. Even as a player here, I would work the, the silver Knights camp. Those were always a blast. I think it was like me and Bonicki had our own group and like, we were just, I mean, I hope those kids are, you know, humming baseballs now and, and dropping some bombs, but they would have learned that from Bonicki and not me. Um, Nichols, I, I was a captain for three years. I, I, I attribute a lot of that to having a pretty young team. I think the culture at Nichols a lot maybe helped me become a, a little bit more of a leader just because I was given that responsibility a little bit earlier. Um, coach Puccio was my coach there, and he was strict. He was hard. But um, I think without even really knowing it, I, I've adopted a lot of his techniques and a lot of his methods um, they're just ingrained in me and embedded in me at this point that I don't even know I'm doing it, but I, I, I have to thank him a lot for what he did for me as a player and just like a, a leader and a man today. Yeah. The strict, strict leaders usually stick in your head more than the, yeah, definitely. the other ones. We used to have a rule that if you were like five minutes late, you'd have to run an hour. And the fact that I got through four years of that program without having to run an hour is unbelievable. <laughs> That's like my greatest accomplishment there. Right, any message to the Nashua fans as we, head into the 2020 season we're back baby i can't believe it but we're back baby july 2nd i mean half price beers a great team some familiar faces let's do it let's get going that's all the 30 second elevator pitch you need i'm in i just said half price beers thursday let's yeah. go <laughs> awesome stuff uh this has been awesome so far cam we got one more segment for you it's called quick hits it's presented okay. by Zephyr, the official on-field hat of the Futures League. It's got high quality and innovative designs since 1993. So we got a couple more questions for you here. Who is your favorite teammate to play with in the FCBL? Oh, my God, dude. I know. To put the pressure on with that. I like, you're going to put me in the doghouse with some of these guys, too. <laughs> I'll preface it by saying the group. I mean, we call ourselves Boys Club. We, we've been together since 2017. It's Cam Cruz, Ted Williams, Luke Tyree, Kyle Bonnicky. I'm going to have to say uh, Bonnicky is my, my, my guy. Okay. Anytime you got a group that's got a nickname like that, though. That's, yeah. That's I mean, cool. I'm going to get – whenever this comes – that was it come out Thursday, they're going to be – I'm going to get my phone. <laughs> you guys are screwed up. 
We'll make sure to tag them. Uh, <laughs> favorite opposing ballpark to play at in the FCBL? Worcester. Okay. A packed Worcester house. No surprise the there. Yeah. Uh, and then what was your walk-up music that you used, whether it be at Nichols or in Nashua 2016? Just really anything. One song that you knew when it came on, it was time to ball. The, uh, I think the best one I had was 2017 here. It was uh, Cashmere by Led Zeppelin. And I just, I hijacked it from Chase Utley. No one knew, but like, <laughs> it was awesome. There you go. Uh, favorite big league team? Sox. Let's go. 5-3. You've only had two non-socked Yankees answers, so we're skewing it the right way. Oh, was it New Britain? Uh, no. So, yeah, it was Brad Smith because he worked for Chattanooga, who was a White Sox affiliate. He actually got right. ranked from them in 05. And then Dylan Jones said, the Marlins. Got to show some hometown love. The Marlins. I'm sorry, Jones. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> Sorry, that's a conversation you guys might have to have in practice. Yeah, the next couple days. Favorite player, whether it be current or historical in the big leagues? Uh, when I was younger, it was Nomar for sure. That guy. I'll, 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 I'll die on that hill. I'll say Nomar was better than Jeter and, and uh, Tejada and all those guys in that era. Um, and then I think more in like the – when I was developing more, it was Pedroia because – we're the same build. <laughs> laser show. Um, yeah, laser show. What bat brand and glove brand would you always tend to favor when you were playing? Uh, Wilson A2000. I mean, um, I'm probably going to be buried with that thing. That was the, the greatest glove ever. Um, Ariel Ramos, who's actually our assistant coach now, his Griffin bats were awesome. The one I probably use the most – um, 2016 and 2017 was the Chase Utley Marucci CU26. What about cleats? What cleats were you rolling out? Wow, oh, whatever Nichols issued that year, this New Balance. Fair, I'm fair. Not a fancy guy. <laughs> whatever makes me look fast. I was like, I didn't, I wasn't fast, but I just wanted to look fast. I understand that completely. <laughs> How about a baseball nickname that you had over the years? I think just Cookie was the only one I had. Nice and simple. Yeah, I didn't do anything special enough to warrant, like, a, a grand nickname. How about any superstitions you had through your Oh, my years? goodness. <laughs> like, I mean, 24 years, I don't think I ever stepped on the line. Now that I talk it out, probably because I watched Omar when I was young, I had to do the exact same routine getting in the box. Like, the bat's got to go three times. I got to, you know, shuffle my feet X amount of times and then take a, take a lean back. And then even just, like, uh, on the bases, like, I, I would try to do the same stuff with my feet. I mean, I think inherently baseball players are just the most ridiculously superstitious people. What about a game day meal that you ate either before or after games? So the routine, every single home game for that 2017 season, Bonnicky and I would go to the gym. We would come take batting practice and we would sit on the, uh, the patio here and eat uh, three Dorito Locos tacos before <laughs> every single game. It was disgusting. The numbers don't really lie, right? I think I hit 397. He hit 356. I mean, we need to get a Taco Bell deal or something. And then the famous Joe Pellucci question that he loves so much, uh, bubble gum or sunflower seeds? Jeez. I wasn't much of either. I think I'd have to go seeds, though. Any flavor or brand in particular? Uh, I like the dill pickle seeds. Yes. Thank <laughs> you. Yes. I think growing up, it's always the, the ranch, though, right? Yeah, got him on it's got, you start out with ranch and you you progress to dill. Yeah, that's exactly it. On my desk, ready to go. Dill pickle, thank you. But whoever First makes one. the the like Hidden Valley Ranch ones, those are oh, that's a, that's a good second. Agreed.
I've been waiting for somebody. I'm sorry. I'm so excited that you just said <laughs> Do they still make the nacho cheese ones? Do you remember those? I remember seeing them. I don't think I ever ate them. Yeah, I got to imagine those didn't last long. <laughs> it was pretty gross. <laughs> and then what about a favorite all-time baseball memory? Oh, jeez, um, that's tough. The 2017 championship here was was pretty awesome. This place was packed, man. Like, I've never seen that many people here. And that was – I'd like to think I was a pretty confident baseball player with two strikes and two outs and a runner at first in that final pitch. That might be the first time I was like, I don't know if I want this ball hits me. <laughs> it was a, it was a two nothing ball game. And I was like, I'm a, I'm a Bill Buckner away from being remembered as the guy that like didn't go back to back in Nashua. Well, that was not the course of history, but that's, that's entirely understandable right there. <laughs> yeah. I can say it now. Yup. Yup. Well, Cam, that's going to conclude this podcast episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. Once again, next Thursday, July 2nd against North Shore. Thirsty Thursday, Pullman Stadium. Be there. Cam's pumped. We're pumped. The fans at home I know are pumped. Best of luck with everything, and we're really excited to see you soon. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Hopefully I'll see you up here. Absolutely. This has been Episode 9 of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League. We got new episodes coming out every Monday and Thursday leading up to the start of the season, which you mentioned is next Thursday, July 2nd. Make sure to subscribe. We're streaming on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see everyone soon.